Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. It's such a rich text, so much so that this verse, Deuteronomy 6.4, became the building block for a daily Israelite prayer and a foundation for monotheistic worship of the one true God. The first word, Shema, it's also rich in meaning, with textual cross-references across the entire Bible. Join me this week as we dive deeper into both the word Shema and the Shema prayer. Howdy, I'm Brian and this is my Bible study podcast, From Hevel to Eternity. We usually work through books of the Bible, but today we're veering off to detour down the rabbit hole of one specific Hebrew word, Shema. This episode and the episode that will air on Thursday, they're going to be very chicken and egg. I've gone back and forth in my brain about which one to do first. The two episodes collectively, they'll provide a word study on the Hebrew word Shema and an overview study of a Hebrew prayer called the Shema which centers around Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. I'll be honest, both the word and the prayer, they've completely transformed my scriptural studies and my daily meditations. So instead of waiting for my Deuteronomy study to come out, I figured I'd just provide some standalone commentary this week. Just like in English, Hebrew words can sometimes carry deeper conceptual meanings than their face value translations portray. The translations are still accurate, they may just only represent the tip of the iceberg. I pray that as we uncover more and more of that iceberg, that your worship and your Bible study sessions would become more enriched as we all try to lean into a deeper relationship with our God, our Creator, our Savior. The Hebrew word Shema gets translated most often as listen or hear, but it also gets translated in places with words like obey, understand, heed, or discern. At its crux, the word is more active than just hearing. We can hear background noise, but nothing really happens with it. It stops as mere sound waves hitting our eardrums. It never penetrates deeper. Shema goes deeper than that. When we Shema, we hear. We listen intently, we process the words, we marinate on them, and then we let them transform us. We shema the words of a mentor. We pray that our children will shema our words as parents. And God calls us to shema his word in the Bible. Strong's exhaustive concordance describes it in part as to hear intelligently, often with implications of attention and obedience. As we will talk about next episode, Israel's daily prayer and confessional is titled the Shema. Ancient Israelites recited some version of this prayer twice a day, and Orthodox Jews still recite it daily. Hear Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. Shema is meant to involve hearing, diligence, and attention. But when paired with the commands of the one true God, it is meant to involve transformation and engagement. Shema is not something you do while reading the Bible or standing in a church pew and then stop doing when you're done. We are called to constantly Shema the Word of God in every aspect of our lives. 
Listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. And you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I command you this day shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign on your hand, and they shall be for symbols between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. So Shema plus God should equal engagement and transformation. word Shema, it's all over the Old Testament. It occurs 1,169 times, and it shows up in 1,072 different verses. The books that use it the most are the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Deuteronomy. It first occurs in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve hear God walking in the garden after failing to listen to God. So God tells Adam and Eve they can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the serpent sows seeds of dissent, and they disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit anyway. Then we get Genesis 3.8. They heard, Shema, the voice of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. This is interesting to me, and I might be reading too much into this, but the Bible never says that Adam or Eve listened, Shema'd, to God's command to avoid eating from that tree. Only that after they had sinned, they shamad God walking in the garden, and they hid from him. In fact, by my count, eight of the first nine times that the word shamad shows up in the Bible, it's directly after man has sinned egregiously against God. It occurs at the fall in Genesis 3 in verses 8, 10, and 17. In Genesis 4.23, Lamech tells multiple wives, his multiple wives that he has, Listen, Shema, to my speech, for I have slain a man for wounding me, a young man for bruising me. So he's telling his wives to listen because he's just killed a dude. In Genesis 11.7 at the Tower of Babel, when God declares, Come, let's go down and confuse their language that they may not understand Shema, one another's speech. So at the Tower of Babel, after men tried to build the way up to God, God comes down and says, let me make sure they cannot shema each other. Then the word also shows up three times in Genesis 16 and 17, in the story of Sarah sending her servant Hagar to sleep with her husband Abraham. It's not really a good look. Right from the outset of humanity, our failure to shema God is front and center. It's not just about God's people's disobedience, though. Shema becomes a huge refrain in the story of Israel's exodus out of the hands of Egyptian captivity. In the first quarter of the book of Exodus, the word gets tied to statements of worldly arrogance and divine deliverance. The stark contrast first pops up in Exodus chapter 2. At this point, Pharaoh is already oppressing the Israelites. He has taken Moses into his home, sort of. Moses is out among his fellow Israelites one day later. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and Moses ends up killing the Egyptian. Exodus 2.15 says, Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to kill Moses. So when Pharaoh shamad this thing, he sought to kill Moses. 
the Israelites, they're being oppressed, and Pharaoh wants to kill Moses instead of hear their cries for help. Later in the chapter, however, we hear that the children of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up to God. Then in Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, God heard, he shamad, their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the children of Israel, and God was concerned about them. So it's such a stark contrast between the responses of Pharaoh and God. And then in chapter 3, at the burning bush, just before revealing his divine name to Moses, the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 3-7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard, I've shamad, their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. Their cry came up to me. This is just so good to marinate on. Humanity might fail to Shema God, but God never fails to Shema. God hears the cries of his people. We see this in the Exodus. We see this throughout the Psalms. We see this in the prophets. We see this in the last book of the Old Testament. We see this today. God listens attentively to the genuine cries of his repentant people, and then God engages. It's not a passive listening. God was actively at work in the Israelites' lives in Egypt, and he is actively at work in his people's lives today. But that's a whole other podcast. Back to the book of Exodus. God declares that Egyptian leadership will not shamal the voice of Moses or the commands of God. And then in Exodus 5-2, we get what I consider to be one of the defining verses of the plagues and the Exodus. Moses and Aaron, they've just told Pharaoh that Yahweh, the God of Israel, says the famous line, let my people go. And what is Pharaoh's response in Exodus 5-2? Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should shema to his voice to let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So who is Yahweh that I should listen shema his voice? I will not let Israel go. Well, game on, because the plagues, the Passover, and the Exodus, they are events orchestrated by God to show Pharaoh exactly who he is and to ensure that Israel is let go. Pharaoh's stubbornly hard heart, God hearing his people, and the consequence of turning from hearing the commands of God, they're all rolled up in 12 chapters. Really, if you want to make your Bible reading more interactive, read the first 12 chapters of Exodus and underline any time you see words like hear, listen, obey, understand. Not every one of those English words is translated directly from Shema, but a lot of them are. And then the last verse from Exodus that I'll pull is Exodus 15:26, when the Lord says, If you will listen diligently, if you will shema to the voice of Yahweh your God, and will do that which is right in his eyes, and will pay attention to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. Shamas shows up with the Ten Commandments and with God's laws given throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy.
including Deuteronomy 6.4 and the Shema prayer that we'll cover next episode. Shema is accompanied often in these contexts to hear the word of the Lord, to recognize who he is, and to obediently chase after him. And just remember that every day the Israelites would be praying this prayer. Hear Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one, and you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So I'll spare you all of the details of the narrative stories where God's people predictably fail this command to Shema. But I will underline that they did fail to Shema. Over and over again they failed. By the time God calls the prophet Isaiah, it's no coincidence that he starts his prophetic message not with Shema Israel, but instead in Isaiah 1-2, God proclaims, Hear heavens and listen earth, for Yahweh has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Ouch. Shema heavens, lend an ear the rest of the earth, and listen to this. I have brought up children, and they rebelled against me. Like, I have called them to Shema, but they have not done that. They have rebelled against God, so now I'm going to direct this message here at the beginning with everybody who's not the Israelites. Like, it's so bad that when God does finally turn to direct his message to the Israelites, he says in Isaiah 1.10, Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Double ouch. Not only is the accusation that Israel doesn't listen to God, but here he commands them to Shema, and then equates them to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, the ones who were wiped off the face of the planet? Like, that's not good company to be lumped in with. It's not all terrible news in the book of Isaiah, though. Shema is used in Isaiah chapter 40 as a call to hear and remember who God is. Haven't you known? Haven't you heard yet? Haven't you been told from the beginning? Haven't you understood from the foundations of the earth? Isaiah 40, 21. Haven't you known? Haven't you heard the everlasting God, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, doesn't faint? He isn't weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah 40, 28. And these Shema calls, they culminate in the last verse of the chapter. Isaiah 40:31 which says, "But those who wait for Yahweh will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint." Shema goes on to appear at least once in every book of the Old Testament. We're not going to go over all of them because, again, there are well over a thousand instances. We're just going to jump ahead to the end. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and Shema appears twice in it. Once when the Lord warns the priests who are not listening to the commandments of God and laying them on their hearts. And the very last instance of the word occurs in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 16, which says, Then those who feared Yahweh spoke with one another, and Yahweh listened, he shamad, and Yahweh heard, he shamad, and a book of memory was written down before him for those who feared Yahweh and who honored his name. They shall be mine, says Yahweh of armies, my own possession in the day that I make, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son. Even though humanity constantly seeks to shema ourselves, 
and idols of our own creation, God in his faithfulness continues to Shema us. Yes, we are still called to Shema the word of God over all other things and then to be transformed by the truth of who God is. But God also continues to listen to the cries of his people. God hears those who fear him and worship him and honor his name. And God fulfills all of his promises through Jesus Christ. Shema, it's not just about listening and hearing. Shema is about relationship. To trace the word Shema in the Bible is to trace the story of God's plan to redeem his people. It is a constant story of humanity failing to Shema God, failing to listen, obey, and be transformed. And then of God continuing to Shema his people anyway. Adam and Eve obeyed the voice of the snake and their own heads, not God's. The Israelites broke their covenant with God, and we today still fail to hold up the standard of perfection necessary for a right relationship with God on our own. Jesus redeems us, fallen humanity from our failure to Shema. We need Jesus because we are unable to listen, meditate on, and perfectly obey the word of God on our own. So Jesus did it for us. He lived a perfect life of obedience to God the Father, but more than that, he died for our disobedience. He went to the cross carrying our sins, bearing our transgressions, but death could not hold him, so he was resurrected, conquering death forever. Now, through turning toward and placing our faith in him, when God looks at us, he will no longer judge us on our own disobedience, but on Jesus' perfect obedience. That's what being washed clean by the blood of Jesus means. A word study on Shema is a cry for us to Shema the finished work of Christ on the cross and let it transform who we are. Shema is about relationship. Through Jesus, we are a new creation. Through the Holy Spirit, we're given a new heart that guides us as we read and meditate and Shema the Bible, God's true word to his people. Thanks for listening. All Bible verses were from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Next episode will cover part two of this series, and we'll go over a series of verses collectively called the Shema Prayer. Until next time, though, I love y'all.